Now, the United States is respected. Countries may not like what we do, but they respect what we do. Actually, they neither respect nor like what we do. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. She's supposed to be the reasonable I one. Oi. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you I am Yes, I'm stuck From in the, the Pacifica Radio Network, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WTPA, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today it has been wildly amusing desi doyan to uh watch the right wingers uh, freak out in fury about celebrities who become political <laughs> oh yes uh i mean even before they elected a tv celebrity with absolutely zero political background to be president of the United States, they had also, don't forget, they had elected Ronald Reagan as president, not to mention uh, Sonny Bono to Congress, uh, Law and Order's Fred Thompson as a U.S. senator, many others I could name. It's almost like they have zero self-awareness of their own utter hypocrisy. What? And yet, when a celebrity who is not Republican dares even to speak out about politics, much less run for office, much less run for the highest office in the land, oh, they mule and they cry and they boycott and they shout, what do they know about politics anyway? They're just a singer or a comedian or an actor or a basketball player. Shut up and dribble. So uh, no wonder Fox News and the right freaked out this week when pop star Taylor Swift decided to speak out. Vote.org says that it has seen a flood of new voter registrations since Taylor Swift on Sunday broke her career-long silence on politics to encourage her 112 million Instagram followers to register to vote this year. Uh, Vote.org told BuzzFeed News that 65,000 registrations in a single 24-hour period had happened since Swift's post, according to Kamari Guthrie, the director of communications for the group. 
She says Vote.org saw Tennessee registration spike specifically since Taylor's post. Taylor is from Tennessee. According to Guthrie, the nonpartisan website had seen uh, more than 5,000 voter registrations uh, so far this month, and at least 2,145 of those registrations are from the past two days alone. Wow. She told the uh, news outlet that vote uh, that uh, vote dot, that the vote.org website had also seen a jump in traffic since her Instagram post with approximately 156,000, almost 156,000 unique visitors a day at vote.org after the pop stars announcement. Guthrie said that is the highest amount of traffic that the site has seen. Since National Voter Registration Day, back on September 25, when the site pulled in a little bit over 300,000 unique visitors. So um, more than half the number of uh, unique visitors just after Taylor Swift's announcement. So, yeah, the right is going to freak out because that's what they do. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know about it until I saw Fox News complaining about it uh, (laughs) on the on the Twitters or well, wherever. It also really underscores that they really don't want people to vote. They are just horrified that she would tell people, hey, you maybe want to consider registering to vote. She had endorsed in this Instagram uh, comment uh, former Tennessee Governor Phil Bredesen, who's a Democrat, over Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn, the Republican. They're running against each other in the uh, state Senate race to replace Bob Corker. She said, as much as I have in the past and would like to continue voting for women in office, I cannot support Marsha Blackburn. I will be voting for Phil Bredesen for Senate and Jim Cooper for House of Representatives. She talked about her support for LGBTQ issues. Uh, She condemned racism. Well, no wonder Fox is furious. Uh, So while Taylor Swift, though, has a lot of followers, I would extend the argument to say that when anyone speaks out, it makes a difference, particularly to young voters, but to anyone. So you know, this is for all the old people listening to our show today, old people like me. Time for you to speak to your sons and your daughters and your grandkids about politics and about the importance of voting on November 6th this year. If they're not all already registered, presuming they're 18, age, 18 years of age or older, uh, the deadline uh, to do so has just passed in a bunch of key states on Tuesday. But in much of the country, they can still register. The next deadline is this Friday, uh, when you will no longer, uh, as of this Friday, be able to register in Idaho, New York, North Carolina, and Oklahoma. Over the weekend, the uh, Delaware registration deadline comes up. Next Monday is Virginia. A lot of big races in Virginia this year. And then on Tuesday, the District of Columbia, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, Oregon, and West Virginia, and then South Carolina and Wisconsin on the following day. So this is it. We are down to the wire here as far as registration goes. Now is the time. The uh, the deadline in the key swing state of Florida uh, was this week, uh, was uh, Tuesday this week. And it's uh, it's a key state, not just for the state of Florida, but for the entire nation. As Ernie Canning writes about this week at Bradblog.com in a short article that you should read headlined Florida midterm could prove a landmark moment for representative democracy at a national level. 
He explains why the long overdue of reenfranchisement, uh, reenfranchisement of former felons and a progressive Democrat running for governor uh, who are both on the ballot uh, on the 2018 ballot could result in a sea change for 2020. But with a hurricane now barreling ashore and the Florida governor calling for folks to get out of its way, Democratic Party election attorney Mark Elias has filed an emergency injunction to try to extend the registration deadline until October 16 because of Hurricane Michael, which, as we go to air here, has now been upgraded to a Category 3 storm. Elias was uh, successful in being able to extend the registration deadline back in 2016 when uh, another hurricane in Florida, and I'm forgetting which one it was now. Do you remember which one that was? I don't. So many hurricanes of late. Uh, in any event, that one also resulted in evacuations at the registration deadline, and uh, he won the case back then, so hopefully he wins again here, particularly as we've been seeing reports of the online registration system in Florida not working properly to accept changes to registrations over the past 24 hours or so. So even if you uh, were able to do so online, had to get out of the way because of the hurricane, but were able to go online, you might not have been able to register. We'll talk a little bit more about Hurricane Michael in our upcoming Green News Report with Desi Doyen yep. a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, speaking out, reaching out to voters makes a difference. We'll be speaking momentarily to an evangelical pastor, a white evangelical pastor who is on a bus tour uh, across the country now holding rallies with uh, the group called Vote Common Good to, quote, flip Congress from fear to faith. For the common good, I hope to uh, ask him why so many white evangelicals uh, seeming uh, seeming to vote against church teachings by supporting Republicans and people like, you know, thrice married Donald Trump, who uh, sleeps with porn stars and so forth, even while he's married to those three people. And but they support him anyway, despite his clearly un. Christian values and unchristian policies. We'll talk about that uh, in a moment. Meanwhile, U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley is resigning later this year. This is the latest shakeup to Donald Trump's turbulent administration, as the AP uh, kindly describes it. <laughs> uh, that announcement on Tuesday raised questions in the White House about the timing and about Haley's own uh, political future. The news reportedly blindsided congressional Republicans involved in foreign policy matters and some key U.S. allies. It means the departure of one of the administration's highest profile women and a top official who has at least at times offered strikingly different perspectives on world events from her more isolationist minded boss, according to AP. There's been speculation that Haley, the uh, former governor of South Carolina, will return to government or politics at some point, though she insisted without prompting today during a press avail with Trump at the White House that she is, quote, not running in 2020 for president, saying that she would support Donald Trump. The decision to announce the latest shakeup came less than a month before the congressional elections even as the White House has tried to hold off on any major changes at the Justice Department and elsewhere before November 6, 
Trump was asked why the announcement was made now, since Haley is staying until the end of the year, but he did not answer directly. He instead uh, talked about how she's worked on tough issues like Iran and North Korea. White House officials had sought to put a hold on record-setting administration turnover before the November 6 election, with aides being asked months ago to commit to stay at least through Election Day to avoid adding to the sense of turmoil. Sense of turmoil? What turmoil? This is administration is a fine-tuned machine. Oh, you nothing see? better. Fake news once again from AP. Her sudden uh, announcement rattled a number in the White House who openly speculated that the timing was meant to preserve the U.N. ambassador's own political future. Trump said uh, Haley first discussed leaving the administration with him about six months ago. That would be just about 14 months into his fine-tuned uh, presidency. But, you know, no big thing, just normal turnover from a normal burnout, just barely over a year into his presidency. Recently, there was an awkward moment at the U.N. when Trump was boasting about American economic strength under his leadership and drew laughter from the General Assembly. Uh, he later insisted that the delegates were laughing with him, not at him. If you saw the clip, you know the delegates were laughing at him, not with him. The uh, six-month timeline uh, when she reportedly began talking about this also coincides with the high-profile spat uh, between uh, her and the White House back in April when she uh, drew the president's ire for previewing in a telev television appearance the administration's plan to impose a new round of sanctions on Russia regarding uh, their support of Syria, but then these sanctions never happened for some reason. And uh, top economic advisor Larry Kudlow went on the air to say that uh, Haley was confused, which did not sit well with Nikki Haley. <laughs> no, no, it did not. She said, I don't get confused in a sharply worded rejoinder to the West Wing. That was a public rejoinder to the West Wing. Uh, she has also conflicted with Trump's new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, his newest national security advisor, uh, John Bolton. That would be Trump's uh, third national security advisor, for those, for those of you keeping track at home. Um, she's uh, conflicted with them on a host of matters regarding Russia, North Korea, Iran. Last December, she also said that women who have accused Trump of sexual misconduct, quote, should be heard. Oh, she's not supposed to say that. Many have regarded her as the reasonable one, however, in this administration. But that's become a pretty low bar, frankly, uh, not just for this administration, but for this entire Republican Party as a whole. Steve Bennon over at MSNBC notes that Haley has occasionally had to say ridiculous things in public, apparently out of loyalty to the team. Just two weeks ago, for example, after diplomats laughed at uh, one of Trump's outlandish claims during that speech at the General Assembly, Haley insisted that foreign officials, quote, love to be with Trump and appreciate his, quote, honesty. And then this morning... Uh, as you heard at the top of the show, she added that under the Trump administration, quote, now the United States is respected. Well, that's weird because the actual evidence suggests uh, exactly the opposite. According to a new poll 
Uh, out just last week from the Pew Research Center, the image of the U.S. around the world has fallen substantially since Donald Trump became president. This according to a uh, survey of foreigners in 25 countries. The drop has been particularly steep in parts of Europe and Latin America, according to the survey of more than 26,000 respondents. In just three countries, Russia, Kenya, and Israel, have attitudes uh, towards the U.S. improved since 2016, when that dastardly embarrassment to the world, Barack Obama, was in office, according to the poll. It found that the decline in the U.S. global image continued from 2017 to continue plummeting, particularly among key nations closely linked with some of Washington's most prominent foreign policies. For example, about 39% of Canadians had a favorable view of the U.S. That is down from 65% at the end of Obama's second term, and it's down from 43% from just last year. Uh, On the southern border, 32% of Mexican respondents said that they have a favorable view of the U.S. 66% say that relations between the neighboring countries have gotten worse in the past year. Other than that, you know, nations respect us now. By the way, the U.S. Positions, position uh, has also taken a hit in Russia since last year, where 26, just 26% of Russians have a favorable view of America. That is down from 41% last year. Many of the foreign respondents indicate they continued to have a favorable view of the United States, but only a median of 27% of those surveyed said they had co- any confidence in Donald Trump, compared with a median of 70% who reported lacking confidence in him. Trump's ratings uh, for himself, if not the U.S., were worse than those of Vladimir Putin in Russia, who had 30% confidence rating. Trump was lower than that, lower than 30 percent. President Xi Jinping of China, he had a 34 percent confidence rating. So Trump continues to be far less popular than Barack Obama was in the same poll with the respect uh, for the U.S. from foreign nations falling after Obama left office. Recent polling from Gallup was no better for the U.S., Looking at the uh, graph here of uh, the past uh, oh, bunch of years, back in 2008 was the last time that the approval-disapproval was the same, was both at 34% approved, 34% disapproved. This was in 2008 at the end of the Bush presidency. And then Barack Obama came to office and it stayed in uh, it stayed in shot up, actually, to the high 40s for his entire presidency as far as approval goes. And the disapproval plummeted down into the 20s. Now, once again, uh, disapproval, not once again, I should say for the first time in years, disapproval of the U.S. far outpaces approval but only since Donald Trump has taken office. These are just facts. So whether the reasonable, quote-unquote reasonable, Nikki Haley, who many believe will run for president soon, whether she cares to admit them or not, these are just facts. But that is what we get from uh, reasonable Republicans these days. Blatant lies. 
Uh, in any event, with those facts in mind, will they uh, will they reach the voters who may put the brakes on this administration on November 6th? And is there any hope in reaching Trump's most reliable base, white evangelical voters? That would seem to be a tough road to hoe here. But a group of uh, progressives, uh, progressive evangelicals, are now on the road hoping to do exactly that. Let's take a quick break and we will join up with the Vote Common Good bus tour and its leader right now on that bus. And uh, they are hoping to reach out to such voters across the nation before November 6th. We'll see if they can. We'll be right back. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Every day I Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We will head to the Magic Bus very shortly to speak with my guest as he rolls across the nation. Last week, at the height of the battle over the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court amid multiple credible allegations of sexual assault and evidence that Kavanaugh had lied multiple times to Congress during his confirmation hearings and his angry partisan rebuttal to the testimony of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, the National Council of Churches, a coalition of 38 denominations said to be the largest of its kind, published a statement demanding that Kavanaugh's uh, nomination process to the Supreme Court be stopped once and for all. They called for the withdrawal of his nomination, declaring in a statement that, quote, we believe he has disqualified himself from this lifetime appointment and must step aside immediately. The group, said to represent some 100,000 congregations representing more than 40 million people, wrote that Kavanaugh exists, uh, exhibited extreme partisan bias and disrespect towards certain members of the committee and, there, and thereby demonstrated that he possesses neither the temperament nor the character essential for a member of the highest court in our nation. They cited what they described as outright falsehoods during his testimony, some in relation to accusations of sexual misconduct by the then nominee for his uh, to a lifetime seat on the highest court in the land, adding that the National Council of Churches was calling for his nomination to be withdrawn immediately. Republicans in Congress, however, and across the nation, didn't uh, didn't actually listen to that call. They have spent many decades now aligning themselves with religious organizations who have spent millions of dollars in return to support those Republicans. The unprecedented call from this group of worshipers at the NCC, however, seems to have fallen on deaf Republican ears in Congress, where some religious organizations apparently hold much greater sway than others for some reason. Yesterday on the program, I shared some listener mail from a pessimistic listener who uh, charged that taking back the U.S. House would do little to correct, quote, 
the amount of damage already created by the rapacious and religious right. He made some worthy points, though I responded that neither quitting the good fight or even pessimism was particularly useful here, and added, and added that I believed that the Republican relationship with the so-called religious right was more a matter of convenience, a deal with the devil for corporate powers that be, so to speak, rather than any anything driven by actual faith among the right. When the NCC statement calling for the withdrawal of Kavanaugh was published, some wondered if this might signal a long overdue resurgence among the religious left. If so, it comes not a moment too soon, and that would include the evangelical left. Yes, there is such a thing. And some of them, if it's even fair to call them left, are now on tour ahead of the crucial November 6th midterm elections. On Monday night, HuffPost reported that evangelical Christians who oppose President Donald Trump have launched a cross-country bus tour to help dislodge the Republican Party's control of Congress during this year's midterm elections. Driven by the belief that Republican lawmakers have failed to advocate for core Christian values, the Vote Common Good bus tour will hit more than 30 congressional districts where Democratic challengers are hoping to unseat Republicans. Progressive Christians, the group's leader says, are disturbed at what they view as Republican lawmakers' failure to, quote, restrain and resist the Trump administration's worst impulses. Vote Common Good executive director, Pastor Doug Padgett, told The Post, evangelicals care about the least of these, referring to the Bible passage instructing Christians to care for vulnerable groups. He said, I believe them when they say it, but then they vote for politicians that invoke policies that don't care for the least of these. He went on to charge that many evangelicals are torn between longtime loyalty to the Republican Party and their own personal dismay at GOP policies that contradict the Bible's call to welcome the stranger and care for the marginalized. Padgett says their 14-state bus tour, which kicked off in Allentown, Pennsylvania last week, is hoping to give courage to people whose hearts are already opened, whose beliefs have already shifted, to say that they can vote and act according to their own beliefs. I would add it's uh, kind of remarkable that so many years of an evangelical alliance with the right has made it so difficult for so many religious people to simply exercise their right to vote as they see fit, especially when such a vote would seem to be in line with their own church's teachings if uh, not with their own church's seemingly unchristlike politics. Joining us now from the bus tour, actually on the road or uh, on the bus, uh, in hopes of heading to Richfield, Minnesota today, I believe, is Vote Common Goods Doug Paget. He is the executive director and co-founder of the group. He is also the founding pastor of Solomon's Porch Christian Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where... Uh, hopefully, at least a few members of his flock are listening today on AM 950 KTNF, where I have just learned before uh, during the break here that Pastor Doug actually has a drive time radio show uh, from uh, 4 to 5 p.m. in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Pastor Doug, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. 
Nice to have you. I hear your voice often when I'm saying AM 950, Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Oh, man. Uh, on my show. So, uh, uh, yeah, what an honor. Thank you. Well, uh, the honor is mine. I'm glad to hear that. And I had no idea. So uh, that's just great. Uh, the, the big uh, tour bus that I believe you are now in as we speak, uh, as well as your Vote Common Good website, says flip Congress. Does that mean that you're calling for Congress to be flipped from Republican to Democratic? And if so... Uh, as I know many uh, have asked you, how, how does that make you a nonpartisan organization, uh, Pastor Doug? Yeah, it's a great question if we're, if we're partisan or not. Um, here's, here's how we talk about our partisan uh, sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the need to flip Congress is the need in the 2018 midterms. It might be the need in the 2020 midterms as well. It could be in the 2022 uh, mid, uh, uh, midterm election. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We are not simply saying vote for Democrats. What we are saying is the Republican Congress has lost its ability, lost its moral compass, lost its um, uh, uh, spine Mm -hmm. when it comes to standing up to the Trump administration. And our need to flip Congress now is a bipartisan, nonpartisan, Mm -hmm. just civic duty to put restraints on the Trump administration. In my belief that the Donald Trump administration is not uh, your run-of-the-mill Republican, your run-of-the-mill Independent, your run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. Democratic administration. It is reckless, it is dangerous, and it is incompetent. And I would suggest that the founders of our country anticipated a president like Donald Trump. In fact, many of them wrote about uh, people like Donald Trump becoming a president of the United States. Their remedy for that was equal branches of government, and that Congress would be the first wall of protection for the American people against a president like this. So the reason we're calling for flipping Congress is not because it's, it uh, currently has Republican majority, mm-hmm. but because the majority party in Congress will not stand up to this president, and that's causing harm to the well-being of people in the United States. Your uh, Twitter profile for uh, Vote Common Good, which is uh, on Twitter at Vote Common, says we are flipping Congress from fear to faith for the uh, common good. And I would say thank you, because I, too, am calling to flip Congress, but not because I think Democrats are so wonderful, but because with all of their failings, I find them to be far less evil and far less destructive to the nation, to the planet than the Republicans who are currently in charge of all branches of government. And yet when I do so, I'm charged with being a partisan, but I'm really not. Yeah. Do, do you fear that your, your group risks its nonprofit status here and calling for specific Democrats to replace specific Republicans in Congress? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we are, Vote Common Good is a 501c4 organization. It's mm-hmm. already boring enough where people probably stop listening when someone you know, uses a phrase like that. But it really oh, not, not, not on this show. Not on this show, Doug. No. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, so 501c4, you know, for the 10 of us in the country who, who get all excited when people start listing numbers and, right. in, their IRS, in the IRS code, right. um, is the kind of nonprofit organization that if you make a contribution, you don't get to take that contribution off of your own taxes. Mm-hmm. A 501c3 is a tax-deductible nonprofit organization. If you make a contribution to those organizations, Mm -hmm. then you can take a tax deduction. So, and the reason that matters is that most religious groups choose to operate as a 501c3, Mm -hmm. so that when someone makes a donation to their church, that person can write that off on their taxes. 
But with that 501c3 status comes the requirement to not be engaged in partisan or in specific electoral politics. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that we've organized ourselves as a 501c4 is so that church leaders, religious leaders, churches can participate with us, and we take the burden. We're the ones spending the money. They're not spending any money. So they're not uh, mm-hmm. using their pulpits for this purpose and all the rest of it. But I will just make a side note mm-hmm. that I think pastors and churches all over the country should be willing to risk their nonprofit status where the contributors to their church can write off their contributions on their taxes. Because, if, in order to speak out about the Trump administration, because the Trump administration is that dangerous. Mm. I, I, yeah. I, I, the, the idea that the thing that makes a Christian community a Christian community is that people don't have to pay taxes on the money that they give to you right. is the lowest possible level that a Christian community could ever be proud of. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's almost like the government is saying, if you speak up against us, we're going to make that a financial uh, a burden upon you. And I think Christian churches should take on that burden. If you lose your 501c3 nonprofit uh, contribution status, fair enough. Be like every other business that has to function in a society. Then. Mm. Uh, but it's worth it. And if you're being held hostage, if any church members are listening, synagogue members, pastors, mm-hmm. I would just say to them, if your community, your congregation is being held hostage by the need to keep your 501c3 status in place mm-hmm. and your contribution being tax deductible, that's the lowest possible level you could have as a, as a faith community. Mm. So I'd say to churches, to synagogues, to pastors, to church leaders, be willing to risk that in order to tell the truth that you know would bring about the... Uh, proclamation of the truth that your community is supposed to tell. And if you're holding back because of money, that's been the problem with spiritual communities for thousands of years. Mm. If they're willing to be bought off by a tax break. Like, this is the thing that drives me crazy. Progressives like me want to say to conservatives, don't make it all about the tax break. And then religious community leaders say, I can't say anything because we would lose our tax break. Mm. And and like you know, and we don't see that on the right at all. They seem to have no problem uh, talking about the Republicans that they support. Um, but uh, Pastor, well, and, and can, I, can I make one more yeah, point about sure, that? Sure, sure. They're actually they're actually right in the law about this. There is no fear that a church is going to lose its status. One church since 1958, right. one time, lost its 501c3 status. Yep. And that was because they took out an ad in the New York Times about Bill Clinton. And one other time when an action was taken by the IRS against the church, the IRS, that was in 2004 about the, Trump, about the Bush administration going to war, the IRS later sent an apology letter. In addition to that, in May of 2017, Donald Trump signed an executive order that told all government agencies to not enforce what is often referred to as the Johnson Amendment, right. which is this amendment to don't be quiet. So not only are, are they right about the law as it's, as it's practiced, Donald Trump has said, just remove that fear altogether. My point being, don't only do it because the law uh, isn't going to be enforced. Be willing to do it even if you did lose your 501c3 status, because Spiritual communities that want to stand up for, for right things in this country have been kowtowing for far too long to the mighty dollar. 
uh, either from losing congregants over it or from losing their tax breaks. And it's, it's really quite, it's quite disheartening to people who think that spiritual communities are part of the fabric of our society. Uh, I'm speaking. Well, of pa- sorry about the sermon. There. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I was hoping for a sermon, Pastor Doug uh, Paget. I'm speaking to from the uh, from VoteCommonGood.com. Uh, we see a lot of right wing evangelicals that I would call very partisan for their years of support for Republicans, and uh, in in a way that seems to go against the values of what I thought was their church teachings. As an evangelical uh, on what we'll call the progressive left, I know you also work with those on the right. Can you help me, uh, please, (laughs) Pastor, can you help me understand how so many evangelicals on the right seem to justify so many political positions that seem to be in stark contrast with their church teachings? And never mind that you and I may disagree with them. What is going through their head? How do they justify that? You know, whether it's the president, you know, repeated sexual misconduct allegations, uh, his infamous Access Hollywood tape, uh, what we saw last week with Brett Kavanaugh charges against him, but even, uh, you know, immigration, refugees, the poorest among us care for the planet. How is that justified in any way but a purely partisan way uh, among the evangelical right, as you understand it? Yeah, it's it's nearly impossible for me to recognize uh, as well. But I will say this. Some of those groups, now not all of them, mm-hmm. but some of them, also believe that the federal government is such a flawed notion that they have no expectation whatsoever that anyone who offers themselves up to the federal government's service or work would ever be pursuing anything close to their Christian righteousness. So they will just say, that's for church matters, but, you know, the government is so polluted anyway, mm-hmm. you can't expect it to behave uh, by these other, other values. Now, that's what they say when one of the people they support is, is the president. Mm-hmm. When Barack Obama is the president, when Bill Clinton is the president, when Jimmy Carter is the president, mm-hmm. they will say things like, we need to return righteousness to the White House. We need God's favor back on this country by having a right, good Christian leader. So there's this code switching that people are willing to do when the party that they tend to support is in power or not. But there is a, there is a faction that is just so anti-government, they don't expect anything decent out of it at all. But I have to tell you, part of the reason I'm on the road and that we're part of doing Vote Common Good and we're loaded up and traveling all across this country is we are trying to call the bluff on the evangelicals who, out of one side of their mouth, want to say that they follow the teachings of Jesus, and on the other side of their mouth are not just um, uh, endorsing Donald Trump, seem to be wanting to move into a full embrace of Trumpism. It is, like, these are the same people who said to John McCain, okay, we know you're not really a religious person, but we'll plug our nose and vote for you. Then they said to Mitt Romney, we know that you come from one of the religious expressions that we teach in our colleges and high schools mm-hmm. in the cult group, the Mormons, but we'll plug our nose and we will vote for you anyway. With Donald Trump, for whatever reason, this group became so enamored that someone like Donald Trump would like them, that they just moved into a full-on lover's embrace of him. They're not plugging their nose at all. They are speaking as if Donald Trump is someone who fulfills the... Uh, aspirations that they've had all along. And I think there's something about Donald Trump's kind of tough attitude, rude demeanor, and financial success 
that a lot of religious leaders, frankly, admire. And um, I don't say that with any pride. I don't say that with any uh, anything. Uh, it doesn't feel good in my heart to say it, but I know a lot of these people. And I know that they actually think that he's really great because he's a bully. And that is so counter to Jesus, yeah. I can't even begin to explain it. Well, you know, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I was going to say, because, I mean, you know, what do I know? I'm Jewish, but it sure seems to be counter to the to the teachings of Christ that I have understood. Uh, let me, let me uh, ask you about this, about voters specifically. You're quoted in the Huffington Post piece as suggesting that you're offering encouragement to evangelicals to vote their beliefs as if yeah. they, you know, may have come around and yet they're still frightened somehow uh, to, you know, to vote for Democrats. What do you hear from evangelical voters about why, why doing so is is so difficult or even frightening for them? Is it just years of, frankly, you know, uh, religious trauma. right propaganda? <laughs> yeah, religious right trauma. Yeah. Yes, I do think it is. I also think a lot of it is that people confuse their identity with their tactic. And voting is a tactic to bring about the common good. Voting ought not be seen as our identity. So I, sh- I think it's better if someone says, I vote for Democrats, rather than saying, I am a Democrat, or I vote for Republicans, mm-hmm. rather than I am a Republican. It's not really an accurate I am statement about identity. But a lot of religious people have merged their religious and, and civic identity with the, polit- with the, the political Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And what's happening right now, and this is a difficult thing to do, is to start to separate out your identities from your tactics. So and when someone realizes in their life that um, they have a misplaced identity, mm-hmm. that takes a while for them to get their heads around it. Mm-hmm. Right? You, this happens to people in lots of areas of life. It happens with people when they retire from work, yeah. and they realize, oh, my whole identity was tied up in my work, now I don't do that thing. Mm. I don't know who I am. Or people experience it when they have children, or they experience it when they're an athlete and their their sport has come to an end. And they experience it if they're an artist and they lose their artistic touch, and they can realize then that they, the, the capacity they had and the ability they had and the work they did had become their identity. So what's happening to a lot of Christian vote, Christian people is they're beginning to recognize because of Donald Trump's um, you know clear brazen activity that they're actually not like that at all and they're now having to separate what often is referred to as that thing in your head that you know mm. from that thing in your heart that you feel and there's this catching up with their trying to catch up with their hearts a bit mm. and to say are catching their hearts up to say, I know it makes no sense to support the Trump administration and the policies that the Republicans are pushing, but their identity, their sense of who they are, their sense of belonging, their sense of, of uh, commitment, that's a, that feels like something like comes from your heart, and that's what they're having to catch up on. So that's part of the reason we're traveling around and have, holding these rallies across the country is to say to people, we want you to know that you're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the three things that a lot of people feel is they feel alone, they feel scared and they feel unloved. Like that's just the reality of the mm-hmm. uh, of, of the human experience. Mm-hmm. I've never met anyone who doesn't feel those things sometimes or quite often. Right. And uh, we try to we're trying to create a place where fear can be set aside and where they know in this case if they vote with their heart and their head in a way that might be different than they ever have before that they're not going to be alone. 
And we remind them that we're not traveling around trying to turn you into a Democrat. We're traveling around trying to turn you into a person who has the tools to vote for the common good. I've got uh, just a, a few minutes here left, uh, Doug. I, I mentioned that bold statement from the uh, National Council of Churches last week opposing Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation of the Supreme Court. It, I, I thought it was great to hear a clarion voice from the Christian religious sector that was not from the right wing. I'm, I'm also happy uh, to see your bus tour. Uh, but all of this, of course, is going to take a lot more. The religious right has been building these political institutions and relationships for years, spending millions of dollars on that. Is there an understanding uh, now among the non-right religious community at this point that similar political institutions need to be built up, need to be invested in uh, over time, over years, to finally stem the, stem the tide of what the religious right has done for so many years? I would like the answer to that to be yes. Um, we're doing that. That's Vote Common Goods not only existing for this election. We're going to be an ongoing uh, organization with ongoing work. But I have to tell you, it, it's not at all clear to me that people in the progressive community think this is anything but a one-off problem with the Trump administration. Mm. And I don't think there is a belief and a commitment amongst a lot of them to organize together in such a way that there can be a, uh, that there can be a singular cause that varying uh, groups from varying perspectives would come together around. I, I wish it was the case. I, I've longed for it to be the case. I advocate for it to be the case. Um, I'm not sure. So if any of your listeners are people who want to do that kind of work, some of us are doing it. But if we think we're going to trust the current existing group of religious leaders across this country, uh, Jewish, Muslim, Christian leaders, um, I'm not entirely sure that this current uh, group of people are going to do it. They're so afraid of getting tied up in anything that's political mm. um, that it's just paralyzing. And um, the sleep, the sleep uh, uh, that we've fallen into as religious communities in this country is a very, very deep sleep. I will be happy to uh, work with you, Pastor Doug, to try to change that any way that we can, because we need these folks. We need organization. We need them working together. I mean, I, I ran out of time here, so I don't have time to ask you about this. You know, this phony, what I see as a relig phony religious liberty scam that, you know, goes all the way up now to the Supreme Court that they have pulled off. Uh, you know, over years to, uh, to to underscore their own political beliefs. And there is just seems like there is nothing counter to that on the other side, on yeah. the left. Um, well, I'm afraid you're right. You, you may have read, we had an article in the New York Times about Vote Common Good, and Ralph Reed said, you know, every few years there's a, a movement from the left. And Ralph Reed, who has spent his life... Um, engaged in right-wing politics under the guise of religion, mm -hmm. said about us, about Vote Common Good, this effort will fall short because the religious left lacks the intensity, resources, and infrastructure that we have built over the years. Yeah. And I would like to say that he's wrong about that. Uh, truthfully, he is, he is wrong about the intensity uh, he's currently right about the resources and the infrastructure. And um, so we're looking for small donors and big donors to help make this thing happen, not just for our organization, but mm -hmm. for building the broader infrastructure. So, Brad, I'd work with you or anybody else anywhere we can to, uh, 
to make this happen. In fact, Vote Common Good is going to host a Faith and Civic Life Summit in um, fall of 2019, where we're going to try to uh, infuse this conversation much more deeply into religious communities and to the civic conversation. We will see if we all make it to the fall of 2019. Until then, <laughs> uh, the Vote Common Good bus tour is on the road. They're uh, headed to Minnesota, Iowa, Kansas, Texas, New Mexico, and California. They're going to do all of this somehow before Election Day on uh, Tuesday, November 6th. I would encourage folks to uh, stop by votecommongood.com to support that effort and uh, find them on the Twitters and uh, follow their uh, bus trip across the country at Vote Common. Pastor Doug Paget, great speaking with you. I hope you don't mind if we uh, bother you again in the near future. You're great. Brad, of yours anytime. Thank you. Okay, see? That was some encouraging-ish news. Oh, of course it was. Encouraging-ish. I'm, I'm very glad to see that they're going out to work for the common good, which is the whole basis of what the Christians are supposed to be working for. Yeah, they are, but not enough of those Christians are, sad to say. Uh, in any event, uh, okay, uh, we'll enjoy that encouragement, at least through this break, when Desi Doyen comes back to ruin our day. With <laughs> the latest Green News Report, I am Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. brother. Well, you know, it is election season, so of course that means hurricanes in Florida and everywhere else, it seems, yeah. over the past several elections. Yeah, it is sort of a bad bit of timing there with that. It happens almost every election. It does seem like it. Uh, so hopefully uh, folks in uh, Florida are buckling up now because Hurricane Michael uh, has just been upgraded, as they say, to a Category 3 which we talk about uh, as the least bad news in our latest Green News Report. The task is extremely urgent, and it's something that scientists all agree on. The world's scientists issue an alarming report, warning we are almost out of time to act on global warming. And speaking of which... This storm will be life-threatening and extremely dangerous. Florida, Alabama, Georgia, and the Carolinas brace for Hurricane Michael. All of those bracing stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. To limit warming to 1.5 degrees C, we would need to start taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere during the 21st century. Oh, I'm holding my breath that that will happen. See what I did there? Yes, we see what you did there. This is your Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, not easy to be snarky about this report from the UN. And even as it comes out, news of yet another destructive hurricane coming out of almost nowhere in the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, as we go to air, Hurricane Michael in the Gulf of Mexico has quickly intensified into a major hurricane, as so many hurricanes now do these days. It's headed for Florida's Gulf Coast as a Category 3, possibly 4, giving residents very little time to prepare. Florida Governor Rick Scott has declared a state of emergency for Florida's panhandle. Hurricane Michael will bring life-threatening storm surge to Florida and heavy rains all the way into Georgia and even the Carolinas, which are still grappling with the aftermath of Hurricane Florence. And in another weird development in this extremely weird 2018 Atlantic hurricane season, for the second year in a row, a hurricane is menacing Ireland and Europe. According to Weather Channel meteorologist Marshall Shepard, a tropical storm in the far North Atlantic is, quote, not normal, folks. Yeah, but you know what has become normal? The idea that there's a whole group of people, specifically in this country, specifically on the right, who continue to deny that what is going on is unprecedented, is dangerous, and yes, is caused by man. This continues to be disturbing, even though it continues to be these right-wing southern states that seem to be bearing the brunt of the damage here. And speaking of bearing the brunt, our big story today, the world has 12 years to get man-made climate change under control. That's according to an international team of scientists on the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC. The IPCC's chilling new climate science report, released on Monday, finds that the severe impacts of climate change that were once expected several decades into the future will begin to hit within 20 years, by 2040, just 22 years from now, and at a much lower temperature increase of just 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial times. Humans have already warmed the planet one degree Celsius, and we're already seeing the consequences in extreme weather and rising sea levels. I recall during the negotiations over the Paris Climate Agreement, there was a lot of talk about the idea that keeping warming to no higher than two degrees Celsius over pre-industrial times was not going to be enough, that we had to target 1.5 degrees. And now the U.N. scientists seem to be yelling and screaming that exact same thing. Yes, this report specifically compares the differences in impacts that we're likely to see if we take aggressive action now to avoid overshooting that 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature target versus the higher target of 2 degrees Celsius in the Paris Climate Agreement. They say the longer we wait, the more limited our options will be. On current trends, we are likely to sail past that 1.5 degrees Celsius mark by 2030. That's within the next 12 years. Donald Trump could still be president. At a press conference on Monday, IPCC scientist Ho Sung Lee was blunt. Limiting warming to 1.5 degrees is not impossible, but will require unprecedented transitions in all aspects of society. Every bit of warming matters. We will still see an increase in the intensity and frequency of drought, floods, forest fires, and extreme heat waves, along with sea level rise, crop failures, and water shortages. But the scientists say if we take those steps to limit global warming to one and a half degrees, those impacts won't be nearly as bad, with huge benefits for humanity, food security, water security, and species and ecosystems that we rely on all around the world. They also found 
found that the cost of making the transition is far, far cheaper than the cost of the impacts that we face. It's a monumental task, they say, but major efforts are already underway in most countries to reduce carbon emissions and transition away from fossil fuels, according to IPCC scientist James Ski. But this progress needs to be picked up in other areas such as transport or land management. Half of our energy by 2050 would have to come from renewable sources. We'd have to plant millions of trees to remove carbon from the air and do more. But the upshot is that we can do this, we have the tools, but we must move faster. The scientists say that requires the political will to take action in all countries. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. It is everything. It is. And uh, we do have the uh, chance to get the political will. We have an election coming up in less than 30 days. Uh, Hurricane Michael uh, now upgraded to Category 3, expected to uh, make landfall on Wednesday and to be, quote, could be, quote, the most destructive storm to hit the Florida panhandle in decades. So uh, everyone uh, stay safe down there and... um, Let's all keep fighting this good fight together, shall yep. we? My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Doug Paget of VoteCommonGood.com and of uh, AM 950 KTNF up in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Who knew? My thanks also to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. We rely on you and only you to stay on our public airwaves to continue this good and I would argue very important fight for as long as possible. So uh, please stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Consider a one-time donation or a monthly subscription of any amount you can afford. It is all very much needed and greatly appreciated. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.